You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost you a single penny and ensures you never miss another episode. You'll also stay up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Before we get underway, I did want to talk to you about one of our other great podcasts because you need more hockey news and Locked On NHL is here to fill the gap. It's our daily podcast on everything happening in the league. Subscribe and listen each day for a quick look at the biggest stories and game recaps. Subscribe to Locked On NHL today wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On tonight's episode, it is time to talk about the NHL awards. We are still, of course, in the Stanley Cup Finals, but the NHL has decided this is also the time that they want to schedule their yearly awards cycle and everything, which, you know, this happens around this time every year. It's not really a shocker, and I think most people already know more or less who the award winners are going to be. This year is not much of a big surprise, so I think a lot of people are probably expecting the outcomes that these awards have actually been given. But after we talk about each of the awards and maybe some of their qualifications for why these recipients received, you know, the votes and, and certainly the trophies, we'll talk about a few other players who maybe deserve to shout for the nominations as well. Certainly some are, are definitely finalists in the actual voting, but maybe some were a little bit more distant than they should have been. The Hart Trophy winner for this year is going to go to Connor McDavid, which I don't think anyone is shocked by. McDavid basically stormed the North Division. And when you actually look at Connor McDavid's involvement in his team's offense, it's really hard to argue against this award selection. I mean, McDavid, I think at one point counted for like 50 to 60% of his team's goal production, either I think recording an assist or directly scoring himself. I'm sorry, but that's just kind of like stupid. I mean, I, I don't know the last time that I saw an NHL player recording at least an involvement on almost half of his team's goals, if not more than that. I get that the North Division wasn't really as strong as some of the others. I think in a lot of ways, I think the North Division was probably one of the weakest this year, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something to kind of keep in mind when you look at some of these award selections and how some of the players accomplished it. But I think with McDavid, for me, it doesn't seem like it really matters who he was playing against. He could face very good teams and basically grease through them with ease. You know, when they played the Jets, McDavid was still very dangerous. Yes, the Jets kind of limited just how dangerous he was in very specific instances, but I think a lot of the stuff that the Jets were doing was basically illegal restraining. You can get away with that in the postseason, but certainly in the regular season, that sort of stuff tends to get called pretty frequently. And let's be honest, every time McDavid faced the Jets, he basically had two to three points a game. So safe to say McDavid had a really great Hart Trophy season. He was most assuredly one of the main reasons that Edmonton even sniffed a playoff spot because that team just wasn't that good. You look at their roster, you look at the depth, you look at the scoring contributions. There's not a whole lot there to work with. Outside of McDavid, it comes down to like Dreisaitl, Yamamoto, and Puyayarvi, a few other guys. But the team depth just really falls off a cliff after that. You're looking at a lot of players who are probably past their primes, like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who, by the way, just signed an eight-year, about 5.125 million contract per season. 
I believe the final dollar amount is something like $41 million over eight years. So it's a pretty hefty contract. And I think, you know, you look at his production, especially on this Oilers team, and it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's not really a bad deal necessarily. But when RNH is one of the team's top contributors and his name is not McDavid, you kind of realize that his production this season was heavily driven by a lot of power play time and stuff. And the rest of his even strength play, which has never really been a strong point over the past several seasons, it it's leaving a little bit to be desired. I feel like his contract is maybe a little bit hefty, but not the kind of deal where you get upset about it. I just look at the rest of the team and I sort of wonder, what exactly is Edmonton going to do to fill in those gaps? Unsurprisingly, McDavid also ended up winning the Ted Lindsay Award for the most outstanding regular season for a player, which, I mean, again, I don't think you can really argue against it. He had a monster year. He was just blowing the competition out of the water. And look, I get it. Again, like I said, the North Division, it's maybe not the best, but I feel like the North, it's still a professional hockey division, right? So I don't think it really does much to discredit McDavid's work. He was an absolute force every time he stepped on the ice. You know, he he can only take what he's given, right? He's going to play against teams that maybe have weaker defenses or goaltending than some of the other teams you would see in other divisions. But this year, that whole issue was kind of moot because he never got a chance to play a team outside the North, and that's not really on him. Sure, you know, you could blame him for the game losing or series losing turnover to, it was Neil Pionk, if I recall correctly, and Pionk hits Kyle Connor for the, essentially the breakaway in the neutral zone. That really shouldn't have happened anyways because Kyle Connor was supposed to be back-checking, but, you know... On the whole, McDavid kind of smacked the Jets around a bit in those series, and I feel like even though he didn't have the same amount of points contributions that you might expect him to, he was still one of their most dangerous players on the ice, and you see how he just controls every shift that he's on. It's really hard to imagine that teams out there can really stop that, even if they aren't in the North Division. So, you know, I look at his nomination and selection for both the Ted Lindsay and Hart trophies, and I really don't feel like there are all that many candidates that I would put above him. Um, the only one that I would say maybe has a shot is if you look at the Hart Trophy, you could possibly argue that somebody like Connor Hellebuck or maybe another really high-end elite franchise goalie deserves a look there because a couple of the goalies this year were kind of dragging their teams through some really dangerous stretches, and in a season in which you have way less room for error, you know, it actually seems pretty important for goalies to be essentially at the peak performance. I feel like Hellebuck, for me, was was one of the biggest reasons why the Jets even made the postseason. People are going to look at his raw numbers and think that that's reflective of what he did on the ice, but the sheer amount of opportunities that he covered for the Jets and basically stole them wins time and time again really put the team in a good spot for when eventually the goals started drying up, the injuries started setting in, and Winnipeg really didn't have many answers for how to replace any of it. Connor Hellebuck had already built up a huge points margin for the team, so when they lost like seven or eight or even nine games out of their last ten or so, you know, it's one of those situations where obviously things are pretty bad, but Connor Hellebuck had done enough to steal many games for the Jets, put them in a good spot standings-wise, and allow them to maybe have a little bit of a blip in their regular season play, although in my opinion that was more than just a blip. That was probably more deserving of what the Jets were actually like, so... Not super fun times, but you know what, Hellebuck, I feel like he had a shot at the Hart Trophy. I don't think he was ever going to be a finalist for it, but in my mind, I feel like he's just continually Winnipeg's most important player. And at times, he has single-handedly dragged this team into the postseason. Very important guy. I feel like he's the team's MVP. He's got an argument again for the Hart Trophy. I don't think he really comes close to McDavid, though, in the sense that McDavid's just kind of on another planet, especially this year. But I would be curious to know if you have a different idea of what Hart Trophy winners you might have selected. I feel like McDavid is very fair. No one else really would have been close to me, but let me know if you have a different opinion at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. 
Up next, we'll take a look at a few other trophy winners, including the Vezina and, of course, the Calder Trophy, which, yeah, going to be an interesting discussion on that one. Before then, though, I thought you should hear about why rockauto.com should be the only place you buy your auto parts. When it comes to auto part shopping, a lot of folks sort of go the default route and run to a retail brick and mortar store where they wait in line, they stand around waiting for the attendant to get to them, and then they get up to the front and they find out that because they have some random maker model that the, the shop doesn't really carry, their parts aren't going to be in stock and they have to be special ordered. Even more frustrating is when you get the final bill and realize, yeah, it's going to cost you a bit of an arm and a leg. If you're tired of wasting time and money, then go to rockauto.com right now. They're a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use, intuitive website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and then set a price range filter so you always get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com's diverse catalog is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you can save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing, so why shop anywhere else? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking about some of our wonderful NHL award winners. And, uh, you know, this this section is probably going to be a little bit more controversial than the first part where, you know, Connor McDavid won the Ted Lindsay and the Hart Trophy. Let's be honest, I don't think anyone else was really touching those awards. So these these guys, I think, are a little bit more debatable. And we'll start off with um, probably the easiest of this bunch, which is the uh, the Calder Trophy. And that was awarded to Kirill Kaprizov, which I really don't think anyone else was all that close to uh, eclipsing Kaprizov's nomination. While he maybe wasn't the best player out of the, the allotment that they were given, I think we had Ty Smith, Josh Norris, Jason Robertson, Keandre Miller, and Alex Nedeljkovic. Maybe Jason Robertson had the closest shot at taking that crown, but in terms of, of fun factor, goal-scoring ability, offensive sparks, and certainly name recognition for a player who is joining a team that's traditionally not known for offense, I think Kapitazov probably had the most exciting season of all of those guys. Now, most of these other players probably, you dig into the underlying numbers and you feel like, yeah, you know, those those results are maybe not as strong as you would expect for a Calder Trophy winner, but this year's rookie crop in my mind probably wasn't as strong as we've had in previous years, so I, I don't hate this award. I feel like it's fine in the selection. You know, Kapitazov might not be the world's most elite play driver or anything, but in terms of like sheer fun value and points production and all that fun stuff, I feel like he had at least had like a fair nomination. It wasn't a crazy selection. Where it starts getting a little bit more controversial is when you start off with the Vezina Trophy, and this one was awarded to Marc-Andre Fleury. Now, I don't actually think that this selection is all that bad. I feel like Fleury had a really dominant season. He was fabulous for the Knights. And, you know, despite the, the postseason performance not being up to standard, Fleury's regular season was phenomenal. The controversy then comes in because Fleury wasn't the only one who was really great. Andre Vasilevsky had a monster year, especially in light of Tampa Bay's defense apparently giving him some issues. The, the regular season Lightning weren't quite as good as what we've seen in this postseason run. Even now, the Lightning can be a little bit sloppy, but Vasilevsky has usually covered for most of their mistakes. He's just a really dominant goalkeeper, and it's hard to really argue against his nomination as a finalist for the Vezina. I am going to sound like a homer when I say this, but I probably would have gone with Connor Hellebuck for the Vesna this year. I feel like his sheer volume of work and the amount of stuff that he did for the Jets probably, in my mind, at least put him above Vasilevsky and Flurry just a little bit, in part because, you know, those guys have much better supporting casts. 
Hellebuck played behind the same defense more or less, maybe a couple of tweaks here and there, but the team was very bad defensively, not much better than last season. And so, you know, you look at his performance, and especially goals saved above expectation and all that, and considering what Hellebuck faced this year, he was actually not far off from what he was last year. His raw numbers look a little bit more garish, but in comparison to last season, in terms of his total contribution to the team's success, he was not off that pace by that much. It was a season in which he deserved at least a Vesna finalist nomination, but of course we all know that that didn't happen because instead you got, I think it was Philip Grubauer, which, yeah, I don't really get that one. I don't know if the Avs pulled some strings or if people were maybe just a little bit blinded by the fact that Colorado has a really amazing defense, so they thought that Grubauer's, at least Sterling-looking numbers, were, you know, more on Grubauer's performance than the team. All this said, I still am okay with Fleury winning the trophy. I don't think that there's a problem with that. The one that's definitely going to be the most hotly debated is the Norris Trophy, and this one, for me, yeah, I could see a lot of arguments. I feel like uh, Adam Fox winning it is is certainly a fun selection. I like Fox a lot. He's a dominant first-pairing D. He's certainly New York's best D, probably since Ryan McDonough. But, you know, a lot of the guys that probably deserved a shot at this trophy more than Fox didn't actually get into the top three. You know, you're talking about Dougie Hamilton, Charlie McAvoy, Shea Theodore. These guys were actually four, five, and six, and so... I am a touch surprised by that. You know, Hamilton is probably one of the best D in the entire NHL, and McAvoy is basically there with him lockstep. Those guys are massive presences on the back end for their teams. They're dominant in possession. Offensively, they're extremely gifted. And sure, you will remember a couple of defensive gaffes from both of them here and there, but their overall body of work is so unbelievably overpowered that I, I feel like any sort of lapse that they have is easily outweighed by the amount of good that they bring. Fox definitely got softer minutes and deployments than those guys, but still ended up winning the Norris anyways because he had a monster point season, which just seems to be how they select a lot of their candidates. Theodore coming in six was actually kind of funny because I actually think Shea is a phenomenal player, but he seems to have been forgotten by a lot of people. You know, Theodore is probably one of Vegas' most critical players. He does so much at even strength. Inside the offensive zone, he's a great shooter. His passing and vision are top-notch. And in terms of transitioning the puck up and down the ice, he's a dominant skater in possession. So, you know, Theodore for me does so much for the Knights. I'm kind of surprised that he only got into the sixth place, considering the top three nominations in my mind maybe weren't as good as the spots behind them. I'm not going to get mad about Fox being selected. I feel like, you know, in terms of a Norris Trophy winner, I, I could see a lot worse being done. You know, I, I wouldn't have been surprised to see maybe even Neil Pionk make this list. I still keep hope for my real deal Neil for Norris campaign, but, you know, I, I can't really argue that Adam Fox doesn't deserve at least a look at this trophy. He had a monster season. He's a great defender, an excellent player, certainly somebody who will be a franchise foundation for the Rangers going forward. It's just, when you look at individual seasons, his year probably wasn't quite as good and certainly as involved as some of the others that we saw from the guys trailing him. I'd love to know your votes for the Norris Trophy, so be sure to let me know at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter, and maybe I'll discuss your award nominations on the next episode. For now, though, we are going to pivot to the Euro 2020 coverage. A lot of you have been watching this. It's been a crazy tournament. And today definitely had a number of very curious results, especially for those who are fans of some of the larger nations and are maybe expecting football to come home. Before talking about the Euros, though, let's talk about why you should be using BetOnline.ag. When it comes to the wild, wild west of online betting, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why BetOnline should be your premier online betting destination. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Hockey, baseball, and basketball season are all in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, international soccer, and every sport in between. 
No matter what you're into, BetOnline has your back. So before that next pitch or face-off, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and enter all the contests your heart desires. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action as all of your favorite teams begin their playoff quests for glory. Win as your favorite teams win. Sign up for a free account at betonline.ag, and when you do, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON at registration to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON at registration to receive a 50% welcome bonus when you make your very first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight's show with our continued Euro 2020 coverage, which this year has seen one of the most unpredictable tournaments I can recall in recent memory. You know, obviously these international tournaments are always chaotic and crazy, but because of COVID and a lot of the stuff and changes that have happened, this tournament for me is a lot more wide open than it usually is. And one of the more interesting teams that people have been keeping an eye on is England. You know, England for a lot of folks, they're one of two things. They're either really boring and underperforming, or they're a pragmatic team that gets things done and advances no matter what it takes. In some ways, both of these things are true, and today's test against a team that, you know, for a lot of folks, Germany has been maybe a crap squad, but also a team that can beat Portugal 4-2 very easily, that sort of unpredictable, chaotic opponent maybe gave the English a test that they weren't prepared to handle, but in this tournament, I felt like compared to previous years, England had it very much under control. This was a team that looked ready for Germany's challenge. And yes, absolutely, the Germans did have some very good stretches, but for the most part, England was very defensively tight. There were only a few really sloppy giveaways here and there, and England ended up sort of controlling a lot of the midfield and some of the wing play before pulling out the win 2-0 late in the game. This is one of those performances that wasn't super attractive, but I also don't think it was as boring as a lot of people have made it out to be. Yes, you know, in terms of goal scoring, we were spoiled in the previous matches between Croatia and Spain, and of course France and Switzerland, but this was actually a really closely fought, really hard battled match. I thought Germany was actually pretty competent, which is a funny thing to say because in previous matches they've been a mixed bag, sometimes really just atrocious, and other times at least competitive. The substitutions and stuff late in the game, it did seem like Yogi Lerv sort of ran out of ideas as to how to change the tempo and stuff, but the team performance itself against a very good opponent in England, I thought, was actually pretty okay. It was a good game. It wasn't something that I think the Germans should be upset about in terms of, like, being embarrassed or laughed out of the stadium, but certainly a lot of folks are probably ready for Lerv to move on and bring on the Hanshi Flick era, which should see Germany return to some really dominant play. England, for all of the hate that it gets as a as a team and as like a fan base in terms of some of the really rowdy supporters and stuff and, and certainly the tabloid media, I felt like they handled their business today. I thought that they were good. The team maybe had a couple of issues in terms of offensive creation and clinicism late in the game. Harry Kane especially had some really odd situations where he didn't quite look either confident or right on some of his shot attempts or, or even some of his dribbles. Maybe his decision making was like a step behind. It was just a bit of a weird game for him. But Raheem Sterling had a really important game-winning goal. I thought it was a very impressive run, and he timed his jump back uh, to stay on side perfectly. He snuck between the defenders at just the exact right time, scored a great goal, and overall I felt like it was a fair reward for a hard-fought match from the Brits. But then you got to like another match later that day, and this one was a lot more chaotic. Whereas Germany and England felt very composed, Ukraine versus Sweden was just utter chaos. 
At first, Ukraine probably felt like it was going through thanks to a 1-0 lead, but then, eventually, Emil Forsberg ended up tying it on a long shot that deflected off of a defender, and both teams had to, you know, wait the full time and then go to extra time because they could not break the scoreless tie. I think Alexander Ishak had a couple of really good opportunities, but just wasn't quite in the best shooting form. And both teams kept hitting the post repeatedly, which is pretty crazy. Usually these teams would knock them back from the spots that they were shooting from, but somehow they just kept the ball out instead. And then an extra time, everything kind of pivoted on Danielson, the center back for Sweden, tackling somebody very roughly. And, you know, he got ejected for this one. It was a really bad challenge. I know what he was doing. He was sliding in to contest the aerial ball that was bouncing above, and he put his studs up, but that right there is kind of the problem. When you slide in studs up like that, even if you're going for the ball, he did kind of cut through, and the Ukrainian player he caught, it was a little bit unlucky more than anything. There was certainly no intention behind it, but he basically tore something in the Ukrainian player's leg. You could see it start to bend at a very unnatural angle, and the challenge itself was worthy of a red. It's the kind of card that you just have to give no matter what. From there, Sweden was kind of on the back foot possession-wise, but Ukraine really wasn't generating any shots on goal, and then it got to stoppage time after minute 120, and somehow, miracle of miracles, Alexei Zinchenko, who had actually had the first goal for uh, Ukraine, crossed one into a Ukrainian center forward. I forget his name, but he's a young kid. I think he is like his first major international goal for Ukraine. It was a beautiful header from him, a perfect cross from Zinchenko, caught the, uh, caught the Swedish defense napping just a little bit, and just like that, Ukraine has advanced to the quarterfinals, I believe for the first time in their team's history. They now get to face England, which is going to be a bit of a brutal match, especially after all of the injuries and physicality that they just endured against Sweden. But, you know, Ukraine, maybe they can see it off. Maybe they can somehow beat England in advance to the semis. This has been an absolutely insane tournament, so I don't think you can put anyone out of this one just yet. I'd love to know who your surprise nation is for this tournament and who you're rooting for the rest of the way. I would probably pick Switzerland for my taste, but, you know, everyone's got their own preferences. We'll find out if football does indeed come home very soon, but for now, that will do it for tonight's episode. Before you log off, don't forget to get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite media. And as always, thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!